Last week, I went to see a movie in a theater for the first time since the Barbenheimer craze of the summer. And it was good to be back in the movie theater. I went to see The Holdovers. It stars Paul Giamatti as this unlikable, curmudgeonly teacher at a New England boarding school in the winter of 1970. And he gets stuck chaperoning a group of students who have nowhere to go for winter break. And these students are known as the holdovers, hence the name of the film. And the circumstances set up a story about people who are stuck in a place and with people they don't really want to be with at Christmas. And as it turns out, it, it's a pretty fitting movie to watch in Advent, as the three main characters are stuck in their own forms of wilderness. In some cases, it's a wilderness of their own making. And in others, it's just due to life circumstances. And there seems to be no good news in sight for this crew other than just to survive a couple of weeks to get through it. But slowly and surely, hope begins to break through in unexpected and often funny ways. And I think all three of them are transformed. Before the movie even got started, though, there was something different. There was, of course, that kind of long sequence of previews, like high production, slick uh, views of coming attractions. But then the screen was suddenly grainy. And the opening credits looked like a film reel from decades ago had been switched out into the movie projector. And there was this kind of crackly, staticky sound like you do when older movies begin. And the filmmakers were trying to bring us into the time period and the setting before we even saw a character appear on the screen or any kind of scene or shot from the movie. And for me, it was really effective. I was drawn in, and the cushy seats of our regal cinemas and the rest of 2023 started to kind of fall away. And before I knew it, I was at Barton Academy in December 1970. Beginnings matter. They aren't everything, of course. Sometimes a movie or a song or a book is kind of a slow burn that kind of takes a second listen or takes a little bit to get into. But beginnings, they make a difference. And today we get to hear the beginning. We hear the beginning of Mark's gospel. Here's that opening sentence again. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now most scholars think that Mark is the oldest and the first gospel book that was written. It's also a book where a majority of our gospel readings are going to come over the next year. So we're going to hear a lot from this gospel over the next 12 or so months. Some characteristics of Mark's writing style are that the prose is really sharp. It's sometimes graphic. He's not very heavy on details. He's not poetic like John in the Gospel of John. He tends to get straight into the action. I think his favorite word is probably immediately. Immediately Jesus went and did blah, blah, blah. Or immediately after that, such and such. And Mark, you might have noticed too, there's not a birth story for Jesus. Instead, we're going to meet him at his baptism as an adult, which happens right after these opening verses that we just heard. And then Jesus heads out into the wilderness for 40 days, and boom, he's in the midst of his ministry in Galilee. The sparseness and kind of the rapid-fire nature of Mark's gospel, it makes it easier, I think, to get right into the action and to focus on what Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying. 
I think it's important to pause and think, too, that the Gospel of Mark, it's really a gift to us and to the church because he was the first one that we know of who set out to write down the whole story of Jesus' life from his baptism to his resurrection. He gives us the basis, kind of the form for what we will, will become the Gospels, the good news. And like a lot of impactful stories, Mark's gospel is left open-ended. If you were to look at your Bible, you'd see that the last chapter of Mark, which is chapter 16, has 20 verses. But if you've got a study Bible, or you look up any scholarly uh, writings about Mark, you will notice that a lot of them say that it probably originally ended around verse 8. So we've heard the first verse, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here's the last verse, verse 8 of chapter 16. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. It's quite the ending. And you might get a sense for why scribes and scholars thought, maybe we should flesh this out a little bit more. And so we think that those last 12 verses probably were added at a, at a later date. But really, what might feel like a sad or a scary ending, it's not really the end at all. Because while at first the disciples will experience terror and amazement, and that's what's going to take hold of them and overwhelm them, it's the start of a new era. One where it's clear that not even death or the tomb can contain God. And the early church starts to come to life. And in reality, the closing credits have never really rolled on the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. That story first written by Mark has continued off the page for centuries. Or else none of us would be here in this church today or any church for that matter. And that good news is still being written St. John's, and around the globe. The movement of God is at work. It's at work within us as individuals and within the communities that we are a part of. In this particular community, I see it in the ways that we come together in times of joy, to celebrate, to have a good time, but also in those moments of deep grief. I see God's movement at work in the being with groups and the EFM groups that gather. I see it among our children and our youth who are bringing their questions and their imaginations to try to figure out who God is and what it, why it matters to our life that we try to follow him. And these are places where we'd expect God's spirit to be, or at least hope God's spirit would be, I think, in churches and religious institutions. But this Advent, as we hear the opening of Mark's gospel, it's a reminder that the beginning of the good news of Jesus, it doesn't open in a temple, it doesn't open in a religious center, it doesn't even open in a city. It's out in the wilderness with a strangely dressed prophet. And while we don't hear Jesus' birth story in this particular gospel, think about Luke's gospel, where the word in flesh appears in another kind of wilderness. Consider Mary and Joseph, they are from their home, they can't find a place to stay, and there's only this humble trough, this manger for their newborn to lay in. That's a wilderness too. God is at work 
far beyond the walls of our church or even the church. God's movement is present in our offices, in our classrooms, on battlefields and in hospitals, in jail cells, and around dinner tables. And I'm reminded that as we hear the beginning of this gospel, that part of the good news within that opening line is that our God is one of beginnings. And that those beginnings often happen when and where we don't expect them to. Scripture is full of stories of new beginnings of people in relationship to God. From the beginning in Genesis, in the creation stories, Hagar and Ishmael beginning again after Abraham and Sarah have cast them out, to the Israelites coming back from exile after centuries away and trying to begin again. With Jesus, there's the woman at the well and the prodigal son. There's Saul, who becomes Paul on the road to Damascus. There's revelations, visions of this new heaven and a new earth that will one day come. And the list could go on. With the beginning that Mark is putting to paper, this beginning of Jesus Christ, we hear about the most radical and loving of new starts. God's promise of comfort and liberation and wholeness, it's taking on human form taking on human flesh to learn and to grow with us, to embody grace and forgiveness and show us how to love, to die and to rise again. Here's the other really good news about our God of new beginnings, though. It's not too late for us to begin again either. I wonder if maybe there's an invitation for you and for me this Advent, amidst our watching and our waiting and preparing to embrace a new beginning. Maybe it would look like repenting and turning away from something that is no longer life-giving, that's weighing you down. Or maybe it could look like saying the words that you've been putting off because you are afraid that they are going to send you into a wilderness. Maybe it looks like adding a new tradition into the life of your family. Or maybe it looks like putting one to bed that is tired doesn't work anymore. This is the time that we've been given. These are our chapters of the good news of Christ. And God wants us to be part of the action, to experience Emmanuel, to experience God with us, not just in the story of a guy who lived a couple thousand years ago, but in ways that make his presence come alive in our world today. This is the beginning. Amen.